Austin Found is sponsored by The Store at the LBJ Presidential Library. Shop online for unique items related to all areas of the Johnson administration and Lady Bird's interests shipped right to your doorstep. Details at lbjstore.com. Literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm J.B. Hager. I'm Michael Barnes from the American Statesman. Try to imagine Austin in 1871. Right. About 4,500 people. Yeah. The Capitol building looked more like a courthouse. It did. It was tiny. <laughs> it was a tiny. And then eventually burnt down, right? Right. And no University of Texas. And no other universities. Right. It's, it's hard to imagine the, the, the cityscape. Yeah. Pre-university. Visually, it looked a lot like the set of Deadwood. It was, you know, <laughs> an, an old west town and, and, you know, livestock in the streets and, you know, just, it was not the Austin that we know today. Congress was bustling, which it, it still is today. But, but no no train had arrived yet. And the not first, even a train The first in. train arrived at Christmas Day later that year, 1871. Wow. That must have been a big deal and a big story in the newspaper. It was. The very brand new <laughs> newspaper. Called the Democratic Statesman. Wow. Which is the origins of, of where we sit today. Right. The uh, Austin American Statesman went through several name changes, several huge policy changes and business model changes, and we're still here today. So here's what's really interesting. Um, it started as a very biased political paper. Well, most papers were back then. And uh, in the 19th century, they the whole idea of kind of like an objective mainstream newspaper is something that came later. By the 1920s, certainly what became the American Statesman was, but it was actually the party organ of the Democratic Party, and that's the Texas Democratic Party, so that means the Southern Democratic Party, and therefore was the party of slavery and secession, and then after the war, the return of white supremacy and Jim Crow. So, to give people a little time frame, if you're... Although we do, we probably have mostly history buffs <laughs> <laughs> listening to this, but this is six, seven years after the Civil War had ended. Right. The Democratic Party didn't want to adhere to what the Union had done, right? right. That's why the succession, that's why white supremacy, they wanted it to continue. The messaging coming out of the Democratic statesman at that time was to keep to keep African Americans where they were, right. to not progress. That that was the the function of the Democratic Party in the South at the time. Now, one of the things that's interesting about reading the early uh, issues, and we have the original first issue, July 26, eighteen seventy one, digitally, oh, wow. and it's kind of dense to read. But about half of it is politics. And, and it, was, it was essentially a report on the convention, and the, the biggest story in it was basically the, the party manifesto. And they don't mention African Americans hardly at all. 
but they do encourage white immigration to Texas. And it's all sort of implied. It's all implied because states' rights, states' rights to what? You know, what do you want that state to have the right to do? Well, before the war, it meant the right to own slaves. Mm -hmm. And after the war, it was code for leave us alone and let us run our, our racial affairs the way we want to. Wow. It's fascinating to go big back into all that. And the Democratic statesman, and there were many papers, the Democratic statesman was a vehicle for getting Governor Koch elected in 1873 and bringing back the people who had been in charge before the war, essentially. It was very influential in, in swaying that election. It did. Uh, well, I don't know. It's, it, newspapers were a lot more influential back then than, than right, they are sure. now. <laughs> and um, it certainly had an effect. Now, interestingly, Travis County, Williamson County, uh, voted against secession. So they were not hotbeds of secession. The Democratic statesman was basically the state party's you know, newspaper for the whole state. You know, mm. it, so it, it took in all the parts of the state outside of Travis County as well. And you could get it by mail. And um, a lot of people did. But it wasn't daily at first. Was it weekly, no. weekly at first? Uh, I think three times a week. Three at times first, a week. If I remember correctly. And uh, for 12 bucks a year. Uh, once it went daily. Yes. Once it went daily. Yes. It doubled in price. <laughs> <laughs> Things tend to do that, don't they? <laughs> in the, the early years, it had some competition, but by 1880, when it became the Daily Statesman, its name changed to conform to the fact that it was Daily. It was no longer the Democratic Party organ. It was more like a, a standard newspaper, mm. but it still supported Democratic candidates. And at that time, that meant Jim Crow candidates. So... When later, I'm jumping ahead because you it went eventually at a certain point it went to an afternoon paper as well, and then that went away. But well, it, what's it, that time frame? I'm kind of getting off subject. You are getting off subject, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, there was a morning paper, The American, and an afternoon paper, The The Statesman. Uh, this is in the 20th century. Okay, they by 1924 they were owned by the same Waco-based company. For Sunday paper, it became the American Statesman. They were, so they they were all the same oh, people. Wow. It just wow. they had a morning paper and an af afternoon paper. I thought it was pretty remarkable at the, this early time, the, the beginnings of the Statesman. There were numerous papers around town. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was the Austin City Gazette, yeah, which you could get for five bucks a year, and there was the Austin Texas Sentinel. Well, a lot of those papers were already gone by the time the the democratic statesman got here papers didn't seem to last very long back then some of them lasted just a few issues but there were other papers uh, at the time uh the gazette was the main competition when it came on board and later it got competition from the tribune and then it absorbed it and briefly was the statesman and tribune and then its big competition was the american and it absorbed the American. Okay. The Gazette would mention the Austin Six Pounder. What were they referencing to there? That's a mystery. That's a historical mystery. It might be another newspaper. Or it might be its nickname for another newspaper. Oh. They had a, also another one they mentioned called the Spy. And we and they never you couldn't figure out what they were referring to. No, there are no copies and there are no other references. Oh. So maybe them just being cheeky. It's one of those things <laughs> that people never really got to like. Who's your so vain really about? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the what? spy, the Austin spy. They would reference. Right. Interesting. 
on the politics, it's important to remember that the positions of the Republican and Democratic Party switched in the 20th century, and that began somewhat with the Wilson Democrats who were progressives. They weren't progressive on race, but they were on, on business and, and taxes and stuff like that. And then the New Deal came along, and that's when the Democratic Party went from being ultra-conservative to being the party of all the things that liberals got to be known for in the 20th century. And by the time Nixon came around, started his Southern strategy in the late 1960s, all those people who were still pining for white supremacy moved over to the Republican Party. Okay. I had never heard the term bourbon Democrats. Yeah. And it, what, what was that in reference to? Uh, well, I, I assume it's people that, that were plantation owners. The Royal House of, of France was bourbon, and it was, it was not the drink. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was the aristocracy of the South with the bourbon mm. Democrats. So. It's just a great term to throw it. When people want to talk <laughs> politics, just to pull out this old term and go, well, I'm a bourbon Democrat. <laughs> they would be running home to research that, right? <laughs> or the Redeemers. That was another yeah. faction in the Democratic Party at the time that were wanting to bring back the pre-Civil War South as much as possible. They pretty much effectively did it in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to reference this as we're doing this in the, in the summer of 2020 because this is going into the 150th yeah, the sesquicentennial. Uh, of the statesman, the beginning of the statesman. Right, so, right. Is, so, and you're following a big story. So we'll be doing more episodes about the history of the statesman as this show progresses. Absolutely, absolutely. We've got a whole year's worth of story. I think you told me at one time when, when you were tasked with telling the whole story of the statesman, you kind of gave... But your editor, a bit of a, has a like. There's some good, some bad, some ugly in there. It's <laughs> well, see, I've I've known because of my love of history and background uh, and training. I knew the minute, the summer of 1989, that I walked into the building for the first time and noticed the historical marker next to the revolving door, and I read it because I read historical markers. I've never read that. Well, I've seen probably it. <laughs> nobody else has either. <laughs> But it talks about its founding as part of the Democratic Party in 1871. And I immediately knew, oh, that was during Reconstruction. So it was the party. Oh, you put that together right away. Yeah. And I, I, I did never bring it up because it was like, well, what purpose is it? But then when they asked me to do the history of the paper, I had to go, you know, we got to be straightforward about this. And they were. And, yeah. and uh, uh, John Bridges, our, our executive editor, wrote a, a really powerful editorial the day this came out. I did see that, yeah. yeah no, like, just saying we condemn uh, the positions mm -hmm. taken by this paper 150 years ago. Especially in the, in the climate of, of what's Especially going on right now uh, yes. with everything, yeah. And this is, so people know, if you're hearing this podcast many years later, uh, is the summer of 2020 and Black Lives Matter, and that is the ongoing uh, street pro protests are happening right outside our door here. But you can see it marching from where we're sitting right where now. We're sitting, yeah. I just thought of something interesting, and I doubt you know the answer to this, but you point out the historical marker, mm -hmm. another point of reference. This property has been sold. 
Well, in the sense that it's been kept by the Cox family, it's no longer part of it. The statesman doesn't own it. It never really right, owned it. Right, and the statesman will be moving farther east. I wonder if there will be some, I mean, a historical marker is a historical marker. Well, <laughs> it probably will go with the business because we weren't here thinking about 150 years. We've only been here for uh, 40 years. Oh, right, right. The original Statesman building, which was on Congress between 9th and 10th, is gone. The second building, which was West 10th and Congress, is gone. I've tracked down 13, and I think I've got them all. Images of all of them. 13 different locations. 13 locations wow. of the th- the constituent parts of it, because there was the Tribune building and the American building, so mm. I count those. And the first American Statesman building is right next to the Driscoll Hotel. I think it's still there. Oh, wow. I, I don't have a confirmation of that, but it looks a whole lot like the building that's still there. Well, we'll have some future episodes coming up and continue this story telling Absolutely. The, the history of the uh, Austin American Statesman. Thanks again for tuning in to the Austin Found Podcast, Pick Up Indelible Austin, all of the volumes written by Michael Barnes. That's where these stories, and this story... Is not in the book. But it'll be in volume four of it. It'll be in volume four. The promised volume four. Not yet. Yeah, that's one that's in the works. So thanks for tuning in. And if you like to take your Austin history a little bit wider to the whole state of Texas. Then get the free digital newsletter every Tuesday called Think Texas. And Think Texas covers history in the whole state. There are about 25 points of entry in every newsletter meaning links and stories and items, and it has a statewide audience. You can go to the Statesman newsletter page and and sign up for it there, and again, it's free. Or you can text, think Texas, all one word, to 33777. And I'm going to task you when the bulldozers come to go chisel that sign (laughs) off the wall. That's your responsibility. I think our publisher will want it. Okay, all right. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Thank you. Thank you.